Welcome back to the Winging It podcast, how to build, maintain and totally own a career that you love. I'm really excited about today's episode because I've come across a lot of people who tell me they struggle to speak about themselves and their business. And how can we expect to entice new business or customers if we can't speak about ourselves or sell ourselves confidently? In today's episode, you're going to learn all about how to sell yourself and make an impact. I'm joined by Martin Brooks, an impactologist who has trained people and businesses all over the world how to communicate better to help with their business. If you're listening to this on your phone, make sure you get the best experience by downloading the Entail app. Entail is an interactive podcast platform that combines the best of audio storytelling with the richness of the web. So this means you'll be able to follow links, view images, follow people on social and much more by just tapping your phone. The music for this podcast is epic, I know. It's been provided by The Edit Album, a curation of copyright-free music for creatives. Our listeners get 25% off with the code SASSY25 and I'll leave the link in the description box or if you're listening on Entel, you'll be able to click the link now. Hello. Hi. How are you? I'm doing extremely well, thank you. Good. Um, do you want to introduce yourself? Tell everyone the story of what it is that you do <laughs> from the beginning, from wherever you like. From the beginning, goodness. Well, I've got a 30-year career in sales, sales leadership, and 17 years ago, set up my own training and development business. So focusing on classic soft skills, so sales, negotiation, presentation, influencing, conflict management, leadership skills, all those kind of things that come under that umbrella of soft skills. And part of my business after the initial stages was to be, go back to the industry that I'd left, which is the travel industry and to be the training company for that industry. And this was around 2002, which seemed like a very good plan, apart from the fact that the internet was about to kill the travel industry as we knew it. So I pivoted my business, which is the one way of saying it, the other way of saying I panic and find something else to do. (laughs) (laughs) But pivot sounds so much better. But what I ended up then doing was a lot of contract training for for a lot of larger training companies. And that gained me loads of knowledge, loads of experience all over the world doing different topics. And probably about 12 years ago, one of the companies that I worked with had a module at London Business School teaching senior C-suite executives. And they, what we call personal branding now, but then it was called personal impact. And it brought together lots of the elements of communication that I really loved. So psychology, I'd study psychology. Also, so that was very important in terms of people's presenting and their nerves and how their nerves were getting their own way. Yeah. Also, body language. Always been fascinated in the impact of body language. Some people claim it's up to 55% of the, of the message. That even the person who grew up with that figure disputes it, but certainly it's a big part. One company I always worked with always had me paired with voice coaches, so like Royal Shakespeare Company trained coaches, and I just absorbed so many skills, tools, and techniques from them. But the importance of the voice, and then rhetorical language, so going back to Aristotle and the art of rhetoric, the constructs within language that make it more impactful and more compelling and more interesting for people to to think about. That's one technique there. I use three describing words, so speaking in threes is one of those. And this, uh, this module that well, I ended up working on really brought all of these elements that I really loved together, bang, in one perfect combination to be able to give people targeted feedback, even very, very seasoned and experienced executives who have been 20, 25, 30 years in the business, to be able to l- watch them speak for two to three minutes and say, 
right, here's three things you need to go away and do differently, things that are reducing your impact. If you do these, these will increase your impact. And if you're interested, here's what some of the top speakers in the world, the Barack Obamas, the Bill Clintons, the Tony Blairs of the world do regularly to help them have their impact, integrate some of those. So that was an incredible learning experience and I, almost like I found like a sweet spot. Yeah. And that was, that was the thought process. And then like uh, many business ideas involved a few beers with a good friend chatting through things and a good friend of mine who's uh, was then based out in Dubai so we ca- we caught up after not seeing each other for years and he has a business and he'd called himself a presentologist oh. and I remember uh, I had two thoughts simultaneously when he said that the first thought was uh, a bit rude because I thought oh, well, that's a stupid word but then the second thought was actually that's interesting because if somebody said that to me I'd want to know what it is and uh, a, a perfect storm. I was walking back to the hotel with a, the effects of a few beers and listening to the memory and conversation and just the little voice in the back of my head just said, well, what would you call yourself? And um, that little voice answered, impactologist. And that was it. Uh, that was my sweet spot. I discovered it. I had a name for it. So from a marketing point of view, I now had something unique to say and go out and talk about and really be very, very clear about of all the things that I could do and say that that was the thing where I could add most value with people. So that whole Ikagi thing, you know, the what people need, what you really love doing, um, and what you can get paid to do. This seemed like the, the perfect spot, and that was back in 2014. So I've been working on it now specifically for a couple of years. Amazing. And so what do you do in terms of that? So if, you know, what would you go into a company and do, or working with individuals, what kind of thing would that entail? Well, it's, it's a broad range. So let's, let's just take the last couple of weeks, for example. So I was working with a seasoned CEO. She used to work uh, in the, the UN. She's got her own uh, tech startup company, and she was doing a TED Talk. Uh, TED, sorry, TEDx Talk. TEDx wow. Talk. And she, she knew me through uh, some common acquaintances, and she said, oh, you've worked with some people that I know, and they really spoke highly about how you just took their speaking levels to a higher level. And this is the thing that I'm always fascinated in. People who are really, really good have also got that eye on getting better, which is what made them good in the first place. So she came to me and said, look, I've got this TEDx talk. Actually, her goal was, I want to speak at TED, but I know I need to be really good. The standard is really high. Can you help? So, of course, yeah, I did. Give her some feedback. And, of course, yes, she was very good, but there were other things that she could do, little tweaks, you know, as the uh, Olympians very often talk about marginal gains. I saw a very great talk from... Uh, Sir Chris Hoy, you know, the Olympic yeah. cyclist. And that was his whole thing. Forget about the big things. Look for those tiny little gains because they have a compound effect. Yeah, they do. And, they, and over periods of time, they really add up. And I remember his line when he said, you know, when you win your first gold medal by one thousandth of a second, all those marginal gains add up. And in business, it's often the same. You know, there's that fine line between first and second. And you know, the worst feedback any of us can get in business is where we put our heart and soul into a pitch to a potential new client. And they turn around and they say, oh, great pitch. We thought you really identified our needs well, loved what you said. We can really see some opportunities there. And we think, you know, you or your team, we could work with you. And you did really well. You get down to the last two. Okay. But we went with the other people. <laughs> so that would, that, that, right. it's that marginal gains thing. That, that, that's, I would rather people say to me, you came last. I would rather they laughed me out of the room saying you were so far off the brief rather than somebody tell me I was second because that would drive me nuts. And it has. It's happened to me. It's happened to everybody. Where about, it's like, what did the, what did the other people do differently, better, more of, faster? 
what was that thing that I didn't spot? And that's the beautiful thing that I do where I come in and I go, ah, that thing. And I've had so many people say to me over the years, oh, nobody's ever noticed that before. And people can't correct habits, bad habits that they don't have. I worked with a C-suite executive of one of the big accounting firms uh, about a year ago, and he asked me to uh, review a talk that he'd done, a kind of keynote. And I said it was very good, but obviously I, I stopped watching it after the first minute and a half. And he said, well, why? Because there was something in the right in the first minute that would have ruined your impact with a lot of people in, in the room. And he said, well, what was it? And I said, we said, um, 11 times in the first minute. And he went, did I? And he had to go back and watch it himself. So this is a really interesting thing about working with somebody else, that it's very difficult to spot our own mistakes. Oh, it is, 100%. You know, because you're just, you're just used to them. And interestingly then, when I point them out, and I often will I notice stuff that people have never been told before, and it's that the more you do, like, like the brain's a muscle, the more you do one thing, the stronger that muscle gets. My noticing muscle is really, really strong in <laughs> terms of that because of the thousands and thousands of presentations and keynotes that I've sat through and analyzed. So I can just spot that. And also while spotting people's bad habits, my thing is always about what is somebody's bad habit and what could they need to stop doing and what should they do instead? You know, what's the replacement activity yeah. while to stop doing that? So that's something that I, I do a lot with, with clients. But that's great business. because a lot of people struggle with public speaking. And mm. uh, I remember when I was first applying for, in fact, actually, it was after I got made redundant from my first job. I was applying, applying, applying for new jobs. I had so many, I got through so many second round presentation ones. Yeah. And after the first one, they said, oh, no, no, thank you. And I said to my dad, I said, I'd, I don't really feel that confident, you know, giving the presentation. I had these cue cards and I was trying to read the cue cards. It's a bit like now. I don't really like reading the notes that I've written mm. down because it's distracting. But I had these cue cards and he said, right, the second presentation, you give it to me and I will tell you. And I was like, oh, you're so annoying. Like, I don't want feedback from you. <laughs> um, and actually what he said to me is I'd be like scraping my hair behind my ear, playing mm. with my hair, looking at the card getting distracted by what was written in the presentation on the card. And he said, just take all the words out, take everything out, just put the pictures on the screen, then see how well you can remember it. And funnily enough, I had remembered everything that yeah. I'd written anyway. So having someone to actually give you that um, push within public speaking, you know, whether it's just a presentation or whether it's on a TED talk in front of thousands of people, it's it's really valuable and it's something that everyone should obviously be open to learning yeah. and improving their skills. So why do you think so many people struggle to communicate in business, whether that is interpersonal communication or communicating their brand? Well, there's a couple of things within that. I want to come back to one of the things you said there about your own example, because I think that's really, really important. It's that whole confidence thing. And um, when I was studying to be a, a coach, about 15, 16 years ago now, I came across this wonderful little formula from uh, the author Timothy Galloway who wrote the, all the inner game books. And he had a simple little formula which was big P equals little p minus I. So your performance, which is the big P, equals your potential on a perfect day where you get nothing wrong, you're absolutely on top of your game, you know, that's your potential. Minus I, which is interference. Now, interference is very often then what, what performance anxiety. Now, where does performance anxiety comes from? Nobody else can do it. It's ourselves. It's our own thinking process. We actually get in our own way. We create that interference. So the 
harsh but real truth is that every emotional state that we've ever been in is self-induced. Now, whether that's wonderful confidence or you know, absolutely dying nervousness, those are self-induced. Now, my question is the psychologist's point of view coming across is, how did we do that? What were the actions? What were the thoughts? How do we get ourselves into that state? And once you take control, and then by working with yourself, know some steps you can take to boost your confidence, then the interference starts to diminish. You access more of your potential and your performance goes up. So confidence is a, is a huge thing that in high stress situations that literally separates the first from the second place. How well can people handle that? So that's definitely uh, one thing that people need to be able to master to, to sell their business as well. In terms of then the selling their business wealth, one of the things I find a lot, and I have a sales background, but also I do, I've done a lot of sales training and sales coaching over the years. And the classic mistake that I see again and again and again is people, people are focused on that, sales. I've never been comfortable with that. I, I often say when I start sales training courses, you know, I'm, I've got a 30-year background in sales, but I don't feel comfortable calling myself a salesperson. What I actually am is a helping people to buy in a highly motivational fashion person. But it's a bit long for the business card. Yeah. But the ethos behind it is just take your mind, just take the sw switch it all around. Go from selling to understanding from the customer's perspective. What do they need to buy? What's their pain point? Why would they be interested in what you've got to sell? People get, I see this a lot in entrepreneurs and SMEs, they get so excited about their own offering. They assume that everybody else they talk to is equally excited in their own product and service. And frankly, people aren't. But they are interested, human beings are inherently selfish. They're, i.e. we're self-centered. How does this help me? So even in constructing a presentation, we used to always talk about something called a WIFTA, what's in it for the audience. So it's not about Ooh, you as Oh, I love that. I'm going to yeah. steal that for my Insta. Absolutely. <laughs> WIFTA, what's in it for the audience? W-I-I-F-T-A, -W WIFTA. But the uh, ethos of it's not about selling, and every time I see a portion of the apprentice and you see people go, oh, I'm a great salesperson Ugh. and they just badger other people to death and I'm screaming no. at the screen, that's not selling. So flicking it around, what's the customer's pain point? Why would they be interested in talking to people like me? Think about it from that perspective. And then there's some simple little constructs that I have to really just get that conversation going with a potential client to spark their, their interest. Something, for example, I call the need do get. What's the need do get? Uh-huh. So if somebody oh. says, <laughs> <laughs> so if you're at a networking event or you know, uh, just you know, corridor conversations, you get an opportunity, you start talking to somebody in a bar, but if they go, well, what do you do? Well, of course, what everybody does, they start talking about what they do. And we're not interested in what you do, we're interested in ourselves. So flick that around. So, talk, so first of all, you talk about a need a potential client would have. What's that particular need? Somebody says to me, well, what do you do? Well, I would say in, in business, it's a highly competitive, and people will often find that they get feedback that they were good, but they weren't good enough. So they may have come second at some point or had negative feedback, and it would drive them mad thinking, what did the person who came first did, do, do differently? You ever felt that? Yeah. Now, what I do is I analyze people's sales Ooh. pitches or their presentations to identify where the key improvement points can it can be so that in the future when you're in this scenario you get a much better chance of coming first so the construct there you see that is need what are they what do they need what do you do what do they get and if you think about human beings being inherently selfish that's three stages two of which are about the other person 
only one of which is about the seals person in inverted commas. So that fits with, the, with our psychology. We're not really interested in other people, we're interested in ourselves. And when you talk to other people, when you've put their needs, their requirements, their desires at the heart of what you say, it's so much more engaging and impactful. It is, and I have two things to say about this, both mm. from a business perspective and a careers perspective, people applying for jobs. So from a business point of view, uh, I guess one of the things that obviously we help people with their social media, whether that's running it for them or mm -hmm. them coming to us for advice. You know, we build websites, we can help with branding, messaging, all of that sort of stuff. And time and time again, I see people desperately trying to sell themselves online on social media going, I have this many spaces left for X free branding talks. I'm rebranding, go and check out my new website. It's like, <laughs> yeah. I, I'm sorry, but like, I just don't care. Yeah. What What's in it for me? What's gonna be on your website that's gonna help me? And that's where I see people going wrong so often. And you know, in social media posts as well, I see people going wrong so often by saying, here's a lovely pair of earrings, you need to buy them, which is fine when you have, you know, hundreds of thousands of followers or mm. um, there's a brand called Astrid and me who are, who are very, um, good at what they're doing in the jewelry market right now but you know they've got loads and loads of followers when you don't have that many followers and you're just starting out you really need to sit back and think about what your core beliefs are and your core yeah. messaging yeah. and you are you are starting a business to solve a problem yes and some people start and they don't know what that problem is but you do need to identify that problem in order to effectively sell to people without being like a shmami salesperson mm. because in this day and age, no one likes that salesperson, especially online. Yes. So there's that from a business perspective. And from a careers perspective, now this is one thing that I can get really fired up about, but um, I get uh, lots of emails from people wanting to be interns and they're new graduates and they want to yeah. kind of work in a girly company. Woo. Um, yeah. <laughs> But what they do, and I really wish someone had come to give us a talk at university about writing cover letters, because in cover letters, you're not really sure what you're supposed to be writing. Even if you look it up online, there's so much information out there. You know, what should it, what should it be about? Mm. And the bottom line comes down to the fact that you are not applying for a job so that that company can help you further your career. You are applying for that job because you believe that you have a certain set of skills that that company will want so a lot of the cover letters that i get say i really want to work for sassy digital because i want to have a career in social media and you could really help me get there and i'm like <laughs> well i don't care yeah i i literally could not care less that you want to have a career in social media what i do care about is if you're that interested in social media you will follow x amount of influencers that could potentially be useful information for my clients you might spend so long on social media that you know how to write a really great caption you might you know have a really great eye for content creation on social media that's the type of thing that should be going yeah. into cover letters not you know this is how you can help me because actually it should be the other way around and that's exactly what you're saying so there's so many yeses to what you just said that i love yeah, I did a, a big talk at Oxford Brookes University a couple of years ago for about 250 final year students. And the, I had to really sit back and think about it because I spent so much of my time with like more, much more senior people. I think, well, what's my messaging need to be here? And that's another point about always tweaking your message. You know, it varies. And I had a big challenge there because this is not my target audience, you know. Yeah. So how, what's the key things for them? And it was exactly all those things that you said. And, I, and really challenging them for points of differentiation, 
you know, what makes you different? Here you are, 250 people graduating from the same program with effectively the same set of skills. How does that help an employer decide which one of you to pick? You know, you, and they all start looking at each other going, hmm, how do you stand out? Now, one of the things that you just, you just touched on there, and just to elaborate upon that, is that it's not, it, it's, again, it's the same thing. Your customer there is the potential employer. Now, what's of value to them? Now, the key thing that I always say to people is, how does your unique skill set help that organization with their particular pain points or development areas going forward? So when you say, I see that you are Sassy Digital are focused on, which ties in really well with something that I'm passionate about or skilled about or have a lot of experience in, I think there's a fantastic opportunity for me to be able to develop that whilst helping you attain your goal. So the whole idea of collaboration and working together. Yeah. But it's the same ethos. It's not about the interviewee. It should be more, much more about the employer and, in cl and collaboration and working forward. So that's, it's that same e ethos. What's in it for them? And then the second part then in, in jobs or in pitching is all about, well, what makes you different? What makes you what, what makes you uh, different? Which always makes me think of the um, McCann Bristol, you know, the marketing uh, uh, company, and the uh, the young lady whose name Jade Jade Delaney, who stood outside the and painted herself in bronze. You know, the fearless girl. Oh uh, no, but I she was trying to get a job. Was yeah, she, she was trying because to get there's I've heard of lots of these in London where someone stood in Waterloo with a sign that says, yeah. I'm graduated in X Y Z." It's been all over like you know, Daily Mail, internet, whatever. Yeah. Um, because, you know, the fact that he actually went out there and put himself out there and stood there and said, I'm struggling to get a job. I need help. I'm putting myself out here. He was stood in a suit, bless him. And someone, he got loads of job exactly. offers. Exactly. And even the people that couldn't offer him a job said, look, I do know someone, so take my card. Yeah. Amazing. And it's just that thing about, again, differentiation. What makes you different? What makes you stand out? And yet she spray painted herself bronze to replicate the fearless girl statue that sits over in New York. And they took her in. They gave her an internship. But then it was up to her to prove her worth. So I saw a post from her because we're actually connected on LinkedIn. And she... And she's got a permanent job and she's been there a year and her career's going oh, well. Amazing. So it's not just like one of those fluffy stories. She actually got the opportunity, but then you had to go in and you had to prove yourself. You got to prove your, 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 your value. And the thing then in there is, well, that's differentiation. That's somebody taking responsibility, taking initiative, doing something different. And I think it was the uh, inspirational coach, Jim Rohn, who said, if you want the success that 1% of people have, you have to be prepared to do what 99% of people are not. So taking that Ooh. risk, putting yourself out there, thinking how do I differentiate myself? And at university, I mean, it's, it's easy for me to talk about differentiation. I'm 51, I've got 30 odd years industry experience, but I would hate to be 20 and thinking, how do I differentiate myself from, from other people? Because there's, you know, I've got 30 odd years of experience. I can pick those points, but to be that age again, I think you have to work harder to go, what's my sweet spot? What do I, what can I say about myself or about my product or about my company that really stands out and gives me that opportunity to, to rise above, above the noise level and be visible and be interested and be engaging and be impactful? Yes, I agree. Although maybe it's because I'm a marketing person, <laughs> but when I first started, I was, I always knew from the beginning, this is what I wanted to do. And this is the reason why I wanted to do it. Okay, that's a good start. But I think that's a marketing thing because a lot of people come to me and go, I know what I want to do, but I'm not sure, as you said, I think I know how I'm different, but I'm not 100% sure. And sometimes I need a little bit of guidance in that general direction. Yeah, I also think there's a, there's a bit of, 
undue performance pressure. I think everybody's seen, you know, the Simon Sinek, you know, start with why, discover your passion, all that kind of stuff. And I, I know people older than me have no idea what their purpose in life is. I mean, is. I love that theory, but I've through. actually never yeah. read it or watched it because I'm like, oh, I just need to, like, do my own thing. And yeah. if I listen to it, then I'll feel like I'll think back at it and everything I do. So I tend not to expose myself to that kind of stuff. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think certainly when you're younger in your, in your career, and it's just it's, it's hilarious sitting here because the head office of the company that I started my career at, the company called SDA Travel, their head office is around the corner. And I just went around and took a little selfie outside the front door. Oh, how funny. When I, when I, when I realized that and then did the maths and realized I, I started there 28 years ago. You know, it was my first proper job, I think, after university. And just, you know, as Steve Jobs says, connecting the dots, just realizing how what I do now is linked, you know, back. Yeah. No, it makes no sense coming forward. I would, if somebody had said to me 28 years ago, and 28 years ago, you were sitting in a studio around the corner with uh, a lo- the lovely Lucy from Sassy Digita talking, and you're going to be introducing yourself as an impactologist. I would have laughed myself silly. But my you would have gone, what's an impactologist? Trademark that quickly. Uh, but, every, you know, it. I think what's much more important in your career is to be in the moment in what you're doing and learning as much as you possibly can from the opportunities that are there. Demonstrate your value to your, your, your employer or to your own business or whatever it is, but always looking to go, what can I learn? How can I excel? How can I do better from everybody else? How do I do better today than I did yesterday? Learn from my mistakes, move forward. As you said earlier, get feedback. None of us like feedback, but it I is, love feedback. It's, it's, it's gold dust, you know, to get to get that. To and really I'm question unusual ourselves. as well because I love, well, I don't love doing things wrong, but when things go wrong, I'm always like, okay, that was bad, or you know, that was awful, whatever. I'm feeling rubbish now, mm. and to get myself out of the funk, I'm like, actually, okay, what you know, what have I learned from the situation? What would I do better next time? Yeah, and. I'm very much a process person and mm. I have all these processes in my head, <laughs> processes day to day, social media processes, website processes, all sorts of processes. And I like to be efficient. Yeah. <laughs> so when things go wrong, I make a mental note like, right, next time we don't do that because of this and that will make it more efficient and then you won't do it wrong, blah, yeah. blah, blah. I so think it's the old Einstein quote, isn't it? The only mistake you'll ever make is the one you don't learn from. So it's to really sit back and reflect and go, okay, what did we do? What did we do well there? What could we? How could we leverage that a little bit better next time? What mistake did we make? How do we make? Sh- what do we? What should we have done differently instead? And obviously, that's very often what I'm doing with with clients. If I'm dissecting stuff they've already done, and they're thinking about when they do their next pitch, you know, okay, so here's here's the pitch we did and didn't work. Or here's the keynote I just did and didn't do well. Here's the pitch I did to investors that didn't get the investment. Now, what could I do differently, better, faster, more of next time? And that's where I come in and go, okay, so change that, alter that, move that, reduce that, take that bit there in the middle. That's a fantastic story. Make that your opening bang. Make that the thing that you say at the start to gain people's attention rather than, hello, my name is and I'm from. You know, think about something that opens it with a lot more punch. And you had it. It was just five minutes in. But five minutes in, you know, a third of the room were were checking their notifications on their phone. You lost them. You only get that one chance to make a good first impression. So you've got something in that pitch that's a great opening. But it was three or four minutes in. So that's that's what I do. Thinking about what mistakes, what could you do differently, better, faster? What could you learn from the next time to have a better impact and better chance coming first next time? And in terms of selling ourselves, mm. you know, not in the traditional way, as we've discovered, we're both not into the sales pitch. No. But um, how can we effectively get people to take action based on, I, I don't know, what it is you're selling, whether that's online or whether you're at a pitch or yeah. whatever it is? 
Well, uh, interesting, you, you use the word action. As you like processes, have you ever come across the CIA process? No. Okay, fantastic. So I've come across the Lucy process. The Lucy process. <laughs> <laughs> well, the CIA is, is a classic way of having those kind of conversations. And the uh, C stands for context. So, so if I was to be pitching my business, again, I use a very similar, so some parallels between the, the need do get. So the, the context, so in business, you know, your, your offering has to be brilliant, but also how you pitch your offering has to be brilliant. You know, you have to be able to also build a relationship. I think it's the rapper Chuck D said, in order to people buy from you, they have to buy into you. So it has to be the whole package. So when you go and you pitch yourself, it has to be great product, great service, great offering, and you have to be able to build a relationship. And if you don't, you're not gonna get it. So that's context issue so then the second portion is issue unfortunately some people spend so much time on their powerpoint they forget to think about the flow of their presentation or what's that opening hook or how do they put across their unique offerings so there's great stuff in there but it's it's not really particularly well thought through and of course they end up not getting the not getting the gig so then actions so, so what i do is i help people look at their pitch and their processes what could they change how could they make it more engaging so they're much more likely to succeed n next time would you like me to have a look at one of your previous pitches and see what i can pick up so that's context issue actions known as the cia process which very often i'll use at networking meetings or you know uh, or you meet people you got those opportunities or you can even put it into a formal presentation because that, that's quite an engaging way. It's a good process, a good discipline uh, to go to. So think, again, not about what, who we are and why we're brilliant, putting it into the customer mindset, so the context that they can recognize, particularly issue, you mentioned pain point. They go, oh, yeah, that's happened to us because we're much more motivated by pain than we are gain psychologically. Yeah. Having missed out on something, yeah. we're much more likely. So the issue is that, that pain point and then action, here's what I can do, here's what we can do. Would you like us to have a look at? Would you like to have a conversation? Would you like to set up a meeting? What's an appropriate, easy first step for them to start thinking about you, your offering, your business? Amazing. Thank you. Oh, <laughs> love that. So much true stuff going on here. I'm just really soaking it all in. Fantastic. So I don't know if we've really talked about this. I think we probably have talked about it in some way or form. But as I said earlier, a lot of people struggle with public speaking, yeah. which can be especially important when you run a business or if you have a career, if you need to make presentations. So is there any techniques that people can use to communicate better with their audience and create an impact if you haven't had a chance to look at their presentation. I know we talked a little bit about feedback, but is there any kind of quick tips that you can advise people to do? Ah, goodness, yeah, loads of stuff. So basically that's like a two-week training course going oh. through <laughs> all the things that people possibly okay, could Okay, just pick like the most important things. Okay, so most important things I think, you know, I touched on it earlier, first impressions. Is that opening? Yeah. You know, and I alluded to earlier, you know, if people know who you are, then spending... 20 seconds telling them your name, who you work for, and what you do doesn't really capture their attention. So what's that, so the, is that op opening hook, opening bang? Is that thing that you can say at the start that really gets people on board? So really, really thinking about that. So I spend a lot of my time working with people and figuring out, well, what's the best opening? What's that hook that you can make? So for example, you're, uh, I did a, a talk for LinkedIn local youth uh, back in February and again not my target audience not people I normally speak yeah. to and I had to sit and think about no, what, what, what's my opening going to be so I stuck up a, a picture of the Olympics and 
the the audience, and, you know, and I and I then I call it the mystery opening. So I said, so you're probably wondering why on earth we're talking about impact. So wait, is this mystery opening a thing? Yes, oh, oh. The, the, the mystery opening. Oh, okay, sorry, C- continue. Uh, so so the mystery opening, so it gets an audience engaged. So, yeah, yeah. so I said, you might be wondering, which you know, kind of Darren Brown-esque little positive suggestion, you might be wondering, which gets people wondering, you might be wondering why there's an image of the Olympics up here. Well, actually, all of that will become clear because sport and business is actually highly competitive. You might be good, but every athlete that walks into an Olympic stadium is good. In fact, by our standards, they're blooming amazing. But only one of them is going to come away with a gold medal. So what do they do differently, better, faster, more? So the purpose of tonight is for me to share some tools, some tips, some nuggets that will help you put you in gold medal position when you're being in an interview, looking to differentiate yourselves from all the other incredibly talented people around you and what you can take away from tonight that put you in pole position. Shall we start? How did you even think about that? How did you even think about that? That's just the day job. That's that's what I really like. That's an icebreaker, isn't it? Yeah. So it's it's, uh, taking people to a point of attention and engagement and getting their, their engagement is often the hardest bit. In fact, I say to people, your biggest enemy is actually the mobile phone. That's, that's your enemy in a presentation or a pitch. People, there's so much information, it's so compelling, it changes so often that getting people's attention away from their, from their, their mobile phones or their cell phones, smartphones, and engaging with you. So my, uh, my little phrase I came up with a while ago was, uh, shake your audience up enough right at the start so they put their phones down. Ooh. That was my little thing I came up with. Shake your audience up enough at the start so they put their phones down. And then you've got them. Then once you've got them, it's a matter of keeping them. So a colleague of mine years ago, he saw say, you know, the, f- the purpose of your first 30 seconds is to buy the next 60 seconds. And that next 60 seconds to buy the next two minutes. So you're always look, you're working for their attention. Yeah working for their attention all the time and never, ever, ever design a pitch or a presentation, something that I call uh, the assumption of interest. People assume they're interested in you, your product. I go the other extreme. I go to the extreme that people are not interested in me, they're not interested in my offering, and they're not interested in what I've got to say. Now, how do I get them interested in me, okay. my product, and my, my offering? And that's the, the challenge I always set myself for any opening that I do. Oh, that's amazing. I think humans are so focused on stories. Yes, stories. And, I mean, that comes back to the heart of everything. That comes back to social media. What is social media? It's other people sharing the story of their life. We're so interested in stories and what people are doing and how life is unfolding, whether that story is real or whether it's not real. And I I personally feel that in everything that I do, if I tell a story of why I'm doing something, people will in, in, instantly be interested mm. in what that is because there's always something you can learn from a story. Absolutely. I mean, if you think about it, you know, the, the science is all there. We're storytelling creatures. I saw a statistic recently that said that the 65% of the average social conversations are stories. Now, I was actually surprised it was that low. I thought it'd be a lot higher. What are people going through their resumes? You know, spreadsheets for the other 35%? I don't know. But storytelling is basically innate within us. You know, before you know, we sat around campfires, we told stories. You know, what 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 do friends do when they get together? They talk. Oh, a funny thing happened. You know, it's 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 all about stories. The, the science is there. You know, the, you know, the whole idea of stories. You know, capture people's hearts so you can then communicate logically with their heads. You know, heart and head 
but stories are a great way of connecting with heart. The problem in business is that storytelling in business is quite a fine art. You can't just blurt in with the story. <laughs> so I, I do storytelling uh, workshops, and I often use the case study of Barack Obama and the fired up, ready to go story. Do you do you know the fired up, ready to go story? No, please no. enlighten. Well, okay. even if I did, I think you should enlighten us. Okay, all right. So basically, some Barack Obama's coming to get elected. There he was, late forties. Is uh, this true? Absolutely. Oh, okay, sorry. <laughs> no, I'm just making it up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So he, so he, there he is, and he's trying to become president. So he's got three major reasons why he should never have won the presidential election. Number one is age. Only two U.S. presidents have been under 50 at the time of election, Kennedy and Clinton. And both of those were hugely experienced, which comes, which comes to number two. He was only a one-term one senator, only four years at the top level. Third reason, African-American. America had never elected an African-American to even vice president, never mind president. So no experience, too young, and basically the wrong color to get elected. But he did. Now, how did he do that? Focused very, very carefully on people who hadn't, hadn't voted before, either apathetic or young people who went, my vote doesn't matter. And if you look at any of the statistics, even in the recent European elections, what was the uh, turnout? It was 43% of people. Mm. So, you know, literally over half the electorate didn't vote. And if you can get half of the electorate who don't vote to vote for you, you'd walk any election. So the focus then was, uh, his focus, well, how do I get people to go bridge the gap between my vote doesn't count to actually my vote makes a difference? And he had an experience of, go he tells the story, and, and just, just you know, for the sake of time, get your readers to, uh, your listeners to Google Barack Obama fired up, ready to go. So the, the short version of the story is he goes to this place, there's almost nobody there, he's traveled long, he's cold, he's tired, he's wet, so what the hell am I doing here? And he walks into this town hall meeting, there's less than 20 people there. And as he's cold and he's wet and he's tired, trying to figure out what the hell am I doing here, what's going on, he's got a cheesy grin, he's kind of meeting people, hello, nice to meet you, hello, nice to meet you, back of his head thinking, why am I here? And the, there's a little councilwoman called Edith Childs, and she just all of a sudden shouts out, fired up! And he's going, what the hell's going on? And then everybody says, fired up. Then she shouts out, ready to go! And everybody shouts out, ready to go! And he's thinking, what the hell is going on here? What have I walked into? And this chant just kept going. And he tells the story much better than I do, of course. But he goes, the more they chanted, you know, I started joining the chant. And the more I chanted, the better I felt. And, the more, and, I, and all of it, you know, we're all feeling really good. And this is fantastic. And he tells the story. And he, even after, you know, going away, I'd say to my staff, hey, you all feeling fired up? I feel fired up. Are you ready to go? Yeah, ready to go, boss. So he tells this, this, this story in much greater length and detail and much more emotional content to get across this, this, this story. So I said, you know, we left, I was talking to my staff, and I went to this uh, rally in New York of 25,000 people. I said, you are fired up, are fired up, you ready to go, ready to go, and they do the chant. So this is the key thing about storytelling and business. This is what we call the bridge out. How does the story connect to the key business message? And Barack Obama says, wonderful bridge out. He goes, so here's the point of the story now. It shows you get the most about it, about it now. Ah. It shows you that <laughs> one voice can change a room. If it can change a room, it can change a city. If it can change a city, it can change a state. If it can change a state, it can change a nation. If it can change a nation, it can change the world. Your voice can change the world. So I've only got one question for you. Are you fired up, fired up, ready to go, ready to go? Ah. So if you think of, so the, the key idea was voter apathy. How do we get people who've never voted before to vote, to think that their voice counts? 
the Edith Childs story. So he tells the story which gets people into that emotional head and heart place. Actually, logically, I can do something and emotionally I feel fantastic. I can literally change the world. And he, uh, he credits that story with mobilizing people who'd never voted before, dealing with voter apathy, and bringing them into the White House. And if you watch the, you go out and on, on YouTube, he used the same story to get reelected. He would retell the fired up, ready to go story. And it's just a brilliant case study, and I can pick out loads of things about how and to tell And was that actually a true story that he told? Absolutely, yeah, because he brings Edith Charles onto the stage, and she leads the leads the cheer in front of the, the audience, and a couple oh. of times he tells the story. Oh, yeah, sure. I wonder how long they had to think about that to kind of bring that out of him, like, oh, have you ever been somewhere where one voice didn't care? It's, it, it's an interesting... Do you know what I mean? Yeah. How and do you I, even think of that sort of stuff? And I think that's a lot of what people struggle with because, you know, these examples are amazing in themselves and they're extremely emotionally appealing. But then in terms of the small people like us, how do we think of things like that to help us yeah, with I what think we're trying to say? The big thing is there's a part of your brain called your reticular activation system, or your RAS for short. And basically it's like your brain's process point it's like what am I paying attention to so the key thing is then to go I'm always looking for stories now I'd done some prep for the interview you know I'm sure you wouldn't mind me sharing with your listeners that you sent me a list of questions that you might ask me yeah you know but I did uh, and but I, I hadn't thought of telling the story of 28 years ago while I was round the corner. That hadn't, oh, right. yeah, I, that, yeah, that yeah. didn't occur to me. But then as I got out of the tube at High Street Kensington, and it was actually early, and it was a sunny day, and I thought, I'll just wander, actually, I'll wander around to Wrights Lane, where I used to work. And then, so it's just that point about, you said yourself, stories are really compelling. So basically, every day, I'm looking for new stories. It's not a conscious thing, but it's going, how can something yeah. that I learn, something that I do, an experience that I have, become a story that may well make a point? So I'm always building my story bank. So I think of, I've got a mental library of stories. And the more stories that you have, then you can look at the environment that you're in and go, now what would be a really good story just for this? So you can reach to that mental bookshelf and pick off the perfect story for that pitch, for that presentation, for that venture capitalist meeting. And go, this is the story then that would really help make that point. Rather than to do what a lot of people do, is to have one story and try and make that fit every pitch or every presentation, which just doesn't work. So you're right that storytelling is incredibly compelling, but there's an art to it and there's a science to it and there's constructs, you said processes. You know, there'll almost be a bridge in and I illustrated the bridge out. So how do you move from a business presentation into a story, so the bridge in? So this reminds me of a time when, or uh, what you've just said there just reminds me of an experience we had with a customer 10 years ago. So that's a flag, I'm about to tell you a story. So it's a flag to the receiver's brain to move from logic and process to move into emotion and storytelling. So there's processes, there's things that you need to do to be able to tell a story well, but when you do tell it really well, it looks like there's no process, it looks easy, it looks natural, it looks like it just occurred to you at that moment in time, and that's the art of a good storyteller. Okay, so basically what we're saying is don't put too much pressure on yourself to think <laughs> of a story. But I also I also think it's very difficult to think of stories kind of in the moment. So now if people are listening and we're talking about this, they're probably mm. trying to think, what's the story I could tell and what am I going to relate it to? But actually, things like this, personally, I will probably go to sleep tonight yeah, and I'll wake up at 6 o'clock in the morning, like, oh my God, I just remembered a story that I could use to represent this. Yeah. You know, even if you're not physically thinking about it, 
dropping stories like that into conversation to represent points people do that on a day-to-day basis but obviously when you're doing a Barack Obama you've got to think about that beforehand and that might be a little bit more difficult yeah and you know yeah the it it's again it's like a muscle as the more you start looking for and thinking about stories and how you can connect stories to your key messages the better you get at it to the point where I'm in the middle of a training course and somebody will ask me some random question and before I know it I'm halfway through a story to tell it just because I've got that yeah. you know, library of stories. Oh, that's the perfect story to illustrate at this point, and then just put it in there. And it doesn't have to be a 20-minute story. They can be you know, like 45 seconds. It's a short, quick thing. Oh, it just reminds me of the time where somebody said this, so I said, so I said that. Boom, done. And it just, it then just makes that impact beyond a logical answer. And also stories in, in business are a great way of case studying. You know, so it's all very well you saying you're great and you're brilliant at what you do, but what's much more compelling to a potential client? A story of how another client in a similar situation with the similar problems that they had, getting an incredible result from your input. That's much more compelling than anything we can say about ourselves. And I think that's something that your listeners might want to think about as well, a case study, a good story that really illustrates their value to potential customers that new customers can identify with and say, yeah, let's have a conversation. Amazing speechless <laughs> <laughs> I really feel like that's such good advice that's such good food for thought especially when people sometimes struggle to talk about what it is that they do because actually you can relate through stories whoever you are yeah even if you're not feeling very confident um so what does body language have to do with making an impact because I think one thing is well let's talk about stories for example there's one thing telling a story Mm. and there's another thing kind of when you're in a room with someone then we talked about this the other day on the phone is that uh there's a much more dynamic situation when when you're in a room with someone rather than being on the phone and the body language actually helps yeah you to i guess pitch or talk about whatever it is that you're talking about like yeah. for example now i've got my hands out because <laughs> i'm feeling enthusiastic <laughs> well it well it, well interesting enough there's something i saw on twitter just yesterday where keanu reeves is going to be in toy story 4 and they toy story 4 yeah toy story 4 i didn't even know there was a toy story 3 uh, well there you go so he's he's being a, he's being a new character he plays a, a stunt man and there was a clip on twitter yesterday of him recording like we're doing in a recording studio recording the voice for his character and to your point he's not just standing still he's illustrating all the movement so he's doing a high kick he does he does a high kick if he says stop he puts his hand down and goes stop now of course the audience are never going to see him do that but they are going to hear the character do that yeah. so he's moving his body to really emphasize the sounds the tone the pitch the speed of his voice in the knowledge that what he's doing will never be seen, but it will be heard. So that's what professional actors do. So the the body language, even if people can't see what you're doing, I mean, I always say to people, you know, if you're saying um, yes, nod your head, because the this uh, smile before smile before you dial, because literally, it changes those subtle tonalities in your voice. People can hear the smile, the voice, the brain. The endocrine system, the emotions, body language, they're not separate systems. They're all connected. And if you just smile for no reason, there's lots of science behind this. They call it the, the pen test. So if you take a pen and you just put it in your mouth and you hold it if between you your teeth. you smile for no reason. You, it forces your mouth into a smile. And they actually did this ex- ex- experiment in a mental health institute where they were seriously trying to get su- people with very strong suicidal tendencies 
off the heavy levels of medication without them attempting to take their own lives again. And they did the smile test. They literally got people to hold a pen in their mouths, which would force them to smile, which would release the endorphins and happy hormones into their bloodstream. So they just felt better. And they were able to peg back their medication, which of course very often has quite serious side effects. They want people in the lowest possible dose without them feeling like they, you know, they're in a really dark place again. And you you can measure it, you know, you, you know, so there is real science behind this. So just smiling to yourself before you going into an interview will make you feel more more comfortable you know before you pick up the phone just watch your favorite comedy clip on youtube laugh laugh your ass off for 30 seconds you're in a good emotional place you know yeah. those those hormones will be in your in your bloodstream and to say say i'm and if you if a client phones you up don't just say oh i'm really pleased to hear from you go i'm really pleased to hear from you now i've got a big cheesy grin in my smile second time right that's why people I, are like <laughs> speaking to me on the phone because i always pick and i'm like hello <laughs> so it's it's important when people can't see you because of how it affects the voice but of course when you're face to face body language is huge you know we're we're visually or sorry we're primarily visual creatures you know if you think about the five senses see hear smell taste touch you know visually is what we'll ju- how we'll judge people first of all so I always say to people, you've got to look good, you've got to sound good, and then what you say has got to make sense. And it's always in that order. You've got to look good, you've got to sound good, and then what you're saying has got to make sense. But because if you don't look good, then again, it's not going to happen. So an interesting little story, just today and killing some time for a You've already I told had. a story in that gap about Keanu Reeves. I know, <laughs> indeed. I was going to come back to that. But also I saw a, a picture on Twitter of one of the... Uh, Tory leadership candidate sitting down with a female interview with his legs akimbo, you know, his knees well apart, you know, and so, uh, somebody had tweeted, you know, you know, Rory, this is not the way to sit, you know, it, it, it puts people out of, <laughs> indeed. And so I just retweeted that. It's like, you know, gentlemen, please, you know, please do not alienate half of your customer base or half the population by sitting in this way. Be aware of your body language. Now, he could be, his voice quality could be fantastic. His words what he's saying could be amazing, but I'm imagining that none of that would register with people who, you know, with a, with a man who's sitting with his legs really far apart, two feet away from them. So we're visually that visual part would would be so distracting that w- we wouldn't really be paying attention to what that person is saying. And I always tell the story of you know, the uh, big corporate job that I had, and uh, when I get interviewed, and I have no idea what the CEO of that company said in the first two minutes of the interview. And the reason I have no idea what he said was because I couldn't understand how any man could shave his upper lip and not trim the large hairs that were protruding from his nostrils. And I was just having this entire inner dialogue with him. But, but I'm going, but, but he shaved. Why did he not just like trim or pluck or something? And all of a sudden, I almost like literally had to pinch myself under the table because I, don't I'm having say, this. Don't say it to him. The, yeah, he won't uh, give you the don't job. Say, but I, I literally, I, I wasn't paying attention to what he was saying. And he was introducing the company and the role and all this kind of stuff. But I was so visually distracted by this. And I had this whole internal conversation in my head about how he couldn't have noticed how he'd shaved but not noticed the large herds between from his nose. But it just goes to show the importance of the visual aspect of where we're interacting with customers. And from marketing, of course, that can be you know, your brand, your logo, what it looks like. You know, the whole package. But certainly what I would focus on as an impactologist is brand new 
do you look right? So then people can get to how you sound and get to the content. Because if you don't look right, whatever look like looks like in that particular context, then you can't. So in summary, then to your question, body language is huge. You've got to get it right. It doesn't guarantee you anything, but it gets you to the next stage, which is exactly uh, what you're looking for. And don't have body language things that would distract your client. You were talking the feedback that you had from your dad earlier about you know putting your finger behind your ear or playing with stuff or you know these uh, are what are called irritators little habits that people have that can distract yeah uh, uh, somebody when you're actually talking to them so yeah body language is interesting and then the one of the things that i do when i'm uh, working with people is i'll always video them you know even if it's just on a mobile phone and I've heard of that one. Very often, you know, li- a little bit like I said earlier about pointing out to that senior executive about his ums, he had no idea. And I often point out things to people visually. I sort of, well, you did this. And they go, no, I didn't. And I go, and I show them the video. And they go, oh, I did, didn't I? go, yeah, and you do it all the time. And it's really distracting. Oh, God, my God. So bringing into their conscious minds things that would reduce their impact. And then, of course, as I said earlier, they say, okay, so stop doing that. Do this instead. So I always give her a a replacement behavior whenever I give some constructive feedback. And I think, actually, once you start thinking about those things that you are doing, so, for example, I used to sit a lot of the time, I used to sit like this with my arms Mm. wrapped around my wrapped around myself and actually that body language is very much it's a closed body language and I think I don't think I ever watched anything or listened to anything in particular but I definitely heard something maybe it was on the radio or something talking about you know open yourself up make yourself more kind of not relaxed because you know you don't want to sit there and look like a slob but you know open yourself up so that you're more confident and just notice the tiny things you're doing so for example some people actually talk with their hands over their mouths yeah and i really notice people's body language now when they do it and unless i know them well sorry if i do know them well i will be like can you please take your hands away from your mouth yeah and like you need to stop doing that if you do that in public (laughs) i'm that annoying friend but people need to know that kind of thing because absolutely you wouldn't be told you don't sit in a meeting with your hand over your mouth because that's a confidence thing it's it's you know you know, are you really that confident about what you're saying if you have your hands over your mouth? Yeah. Um, and I think it's one of those things that actually, when you think about these things in your head, not just what you're saying, because what you're saying actually comes out very naturally, but it's the body language thing that perhaps doesn't come so naturally if you don't think about it. Uh, well, exactly, and th- that's, that's the key point, to think about it. Um, because body language will always be interpreted by the other person. So there's intention. You can do things with intention. So you can, like, I'm, you know... I, I teach people things to do with their hands. They go, what do I do with my hands? And I go, to do a single hand chop, which is what I'm doing now. So, so you bring your hand in a kind of chopping motion down, and that's a single handed chop. Tony Blair was well known for doing double handed chops Ooh. to really reinforce the point, rather than kind of fiddling with your, with your fingers or, you know, irritators, you know, touching your hair or your beard or playing with a lapel or something. Because those will be, well, why are people doing that? So then there's interpretation, how things, so there's intention and interpretation. So people will always interpret your body language, whether that was your intention or not. So interesting, you were talking about folding your arms. I was running a course a number of years ago, and I had a participant come up to me and apologize for folding her arms during the course. And I don't want you to think I'm not engaged or not enjoying it. And I go, well, I know you're enjoying it because you're nodding, you're answering questions that I've asked. You know, you, I can tell you're en- you're engaged. Why are you apologizing for not being engaged? And I said, well, the, the chair I have in my office has got arms and the chairs in the training rooms don't have any arms. So I don't know what to do with my arms. So I folded them. 
but I didn't want you to think that I was closed to new ideas. And that this is this kind of idea of, you know, in, intention versus interpretation. Yeah. You know, that we can inadvertently communicate something that we don't actually intend whatsoever. Yeah. Unless, as you said, we have that awareness. How might this be interpreted, become much more aware of our body language is a key driver of how other people uh, certainly in the initial stages will assess us. Go, Do I want to hear more or am I just going to politely listen to their pitch and then hopefully leave as soon as possible? So it is a big part of it. We need to be much more aware of it for, for, for bad reasons but also for good reasons. So there's things you can do with your hands, with your face, with your whole body, the way you stand, the way you sit that maximize your impact be it in front of one person, be it in front of uh, a bunch of investors or doing a big keynote to 100, 200 people. Definitely. So we're coming towards the end now. And so I love apps. I've mm. got so many apps on my phone. I'm like the app queen. And I tell everyone about all these apps that I have. Like I'm constantly on the app store downloading stuff. And I want to know what is one app that you couldn't live without and it can't be social media, so don't say LinkedIn. <laughs> <laughs> well, certainly one app that I use a lot is TED. Oh, TED Talks. So okay. TED.com. So you got the you got the TED app. I don't even know it had an app. Uh, yeah, indeed. Go. So you can watch you know the best speakers in the world doing their thing, and uh, as Pablo Picasso said, you know, great artists copy. Sorry, good artists copy. Great artists steal. So whenever I look at a really good TED Talk, I go, no, why was that good? And you asked me earlier, how do you come up with the ideas for some of the things to say? Well, some of the things, I've. As Mr. Picasso suggested, I've ruthlessly plagiarized from other people. I've seen the way they constructed an opening and go, oh, I can take that process and just add my data in you know, or my, my, my particular topic. Wow. But I love the structure of that. I love the way you've, that they've actually done that. So TED is an app I do. You know, I set myself the target of watching a, a, a TED Talk, at least one new TED Talk a week. They're only 18 minutes. There's not a long period of time. Uh, much shorter than an episode of EastEnders or Coronation Street. There's much more value in it in terms oh, of your, okay. your, your business proposition. Yeah. <laughs> watch less soaps, watch more TED Talks. And that's something you can do in the tube. It's something you can do when you're waiting for a meeting or on your lunch hour. You know, it's, it's less than a third of your lunch hour. Why not? Do it. Set yourself a target doing that once a week. Uh, but pay attention to it in terms of content, but also in terms of how do those top speakers communicate? I have no shame in saying 99% of the advice I give to people of something I've seen somebody else do. I go, that's good. But it's picking the right thing that people do. So TED is a, a great app that I, I plagiarize ruthlessly. That is a great recommendation. Thank you. I shall be downloading that. <laughs> um, so at the end of every episode, I usually give a motivational or inspiring tip of the week. And last series I did these all myself. But... I feel like, you know, I'm getting other people in here. So can you give us a motivational tip or like in something that you live by? I don't know, an inspiring mm. quote or something. Uh, sir, well, one that I, I, I mentioned earlier, and I, I really do believe that. I think as an entrepreneur, you really need that very firmly set in your head. You know, if you want the success that 1% of the population have, you have to be prepared to do what 99% of people won't. When you said that earlier, I thought, do you know what? That'll make a great nugget for the yeah. end. <laughs> great minds think alike. And it does, it just really focuses on, you know, success is not guaranteed. Nobody's going to hand it to you. You've really got to carve it out for yourself. So taking that personal responsibility. And uh, uh, another one that I just, I was talking to somebody about the other day. And you, there are going to be moments where you think, you know what? I just can't do this anymore. Why did I, why did I not go for a corporate job? You know, whatever. Even in the corporate job, you can have yeah. really tough moments. And my, my favorite Winston Churchill quote is, if you're going through hell, 
keep going. <laughs> you know, it won't last. Just you know, keep at I it. I totally keep going, agree with that. And the, 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 you'll come out the other side at some point. Thank you so much. Where can we find you if we want to find out more? Whereabouts? Yeah, so for more frivolous stuff, you can find me on Twitter at Impactologist. So the word impact, a second T, and then ologist. Or where I publish a lot of free content. Actually, I did a whole series of 10. I did what I call 10 weeks of Tailored Tuesday tips last August and September. And each week I did a new video on something that some of my followers had suggested. So somebody said, you know, how do I open a presentation yeah. better? How do I eradicate errs and ums, those irritating filler signs? How do I, I tell stories <laughs> more effectively? So I did 10 weeks last August and September that are on my LinkedIn profile. So if you go on, so, so if you search my name, Martin Brooks, yeah. uh, last time I checked there were 234 of me. So if you uh, type in the word impact after that, then I should come up top of the list. Connect with me there, there's lots of free uh, tools and tips and uh, if you want to see me doing my thing then there's also a video uh, around this time last year I think of where I was hired by the Discovery Channel to analyze Mark Zuckerberg's first US Senate appearance. It was interesting. Well I feel very honored to have you here yeah, then. Yeah you, you were talking about that analysis and closing your folding your arms. It was just fascinating watching his body language. Obviously he'd been coached by top 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 uh, body language coaches yeah. and voice coaches and media coaches so it was really brilliant to sit you know, on behalf of Discovery Channel, analyze. Oh, he's now doing this. He's now doing this. He's now doing that because he's taught how to do it. Because there was so much at play. You know, we're not the CEOs of, of Facebook, but certainly there are points in time when our potential customers are looking at us and thinking, "Shall I buy with you, or shall I just stick with my existing supplier?" So everything that you can do to make a greater impact, and by all means, go in and watch some of those ten free videos to help uh, your listeners. Your listeners help make a greater impact. Thank you so much for joining me today. And if you enjoyed this episode, make sure you subscribe. I'd love you to leave a review. And also, if you want to follow me on social media, I'm at Lucy Hitchcock underscore on Instagram. And I am at Sassy Digital on Instagram. And we're giving away lots of free tips and tricks and marketing. Um, And obviously, you can listen to the rest of the podcast episodes for more tips from various different people in business. Thank you so much, Martin. Thank you.